You are listening to a message from the Living Word community in Center City, Philadelphia. We are followers of Jesus Christ, called to love God and love people, to share Jesus and help people experience true life change that can only come from knowing Him. We hope that you enjoy this message today. It's growing for Dave. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I love Dave. He's my he's my brother. Who I hate. <laughs> Who I love to hate. How about that? Uh, oh, I'm having such a hard time. So how's everyone doing today? Amen. 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 So we've been reading through Mark 14, right? Today's, well, the book of Mark, today is Mark 14. Sorry about that. Um, and Dave read some of it earlier. But um, Mark is long. Mark 14 is long. There's 72 verses in Mark 14. And like I told Rain, we're going to read every single one of them. No, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm not, we're not going to do that. <laughs> but, but on reading this chapter, there's so much meat there. There's so much there in this chapter. And um, when we get to chapter 14, you know, Jesus and his disciples are hanging out in Jerusalem, you know, for the past few days. And and the crowds are are gathering for for the Passover. And Jesus has spent much of the week answering the, the, the questions and challenges of the people and religious leaders. And a conspiracy, like, is, 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 like, is brewing. A conspiracy is, is, is happening in, in the city of Jerusalem because they want to get rid of this guy, you know, because he's, he's so threatening. And all the questions had ulterior motives, and, and, and they, they're looking to, 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 to get Jesus on trial for, uh, for the things that he's said and the things that they don't agree with or the thing, things they think are, are blasphemous. And um, the chapter begins with... You know, with Jesus and his disciples, they're hanging out at Simon the leper's house. And a woman comes in and pours an extremely expensive perfume on Jesus and anoints him. Right? We all know, we've all heard this story. You know, it's said that the best ointment, you know, was preserved in alabaster. You know, the value of the perfume and, and it being nard, you know, people say that it may have been a family heirloom that was passed on from generation to, from one generation to another, like from a mother to a daughter. It was probably a small bottle, you know, with a thick neck, with a thin neck, I mean, and breaking the neck, you know, you, that's, that's how you open the bottle. And Mark's wording indicates that, that she poured the entire contents on, of, of the bottle on, on the head of Jesus. The whole thing. Now, when Guests arrived for a meal that, that back then. It was customary uh, to anoint the guest's head with, with a dab of oil. But here, this woman went much farther than the customary greeting. She poured the entire contents of an alabaster jar of very costly oil you know, on the head of Jesus. Now, now, this was a wonderful, insightful act of the woman. You know, just, <laughs> Jesus just rode into town as a king. And, he, and shouldn't, be, shouldn't kings be anointed? They should be anointed. And she understood this. 
but I don't think his disciples did. No, she did it without a word. She didn't announce, you know, what she was going to do, and she didn't describe it as she did it. And she didn't explain it after she did it. She simply did it. You know, and it said that the, that the perfume was, was worth uh, a year's wages. You know, a year's wages, right? It's a lot. Just think, it just made like, you know, 100000 or 50000 whatever you make in a year, just giving, taking that and just pouring that on someone in worship. Have we ever given that much? Have I ever given that much? I don't think so. And she didn't ask for a tax, a tax deductible receipt either, right, afterwards. But what happens then? You know, they criticize her. It's easy to criticize those who show more love to Jesus than we do. Now, we sometimes want to define a fanatic as someone who, who is more devoted to Jesus than we are. But one person may, you know, but what happens, right? They criticize her for it. They criticize her for it. And one person may have started the criticism, but he wasn't alone for long. You know, Mark made it clear that they rebuked her harshly. Each one looked at the oil on Jesus' head and considered it wasted. Mary probably started wondering, you know, if she did something wrong, right? And the disciples thought that this extravagant anointing with oil was a waste. But Jesus received it as good work. He received it as good work. With her simple love and, and devotion to Jesus, she understood that what the disciples did not, that Jesus was about to die. And she intended this as a gift in preparation for his burial. Then Jesus takes one day aside, right? You move on, right? And so I was going to read the whole, I was going to read this, but, you know, I'm not because it's a little late, but that's okay. But, um, but as we, and then after that, after he goes to, goes to Simon the Leper's house, Jesus takes one day aside to spend with his disciples. You know, it's an important day. It's the day of Passover, Right? Jesus' disciples asked him, where, did, where, do you want him to make, where do you want them to make preparations for the Passover? And, and the answer Jesus gives is pretty awesome. Right? If you haven't read it yet, this is so amazing, the answer that he gives. He says, in verse, starting in verse 13, he says, So he sent uh, two of his disciples, telling them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of, uh, of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. And so it goes on, it says, the disciples left, went into the city, and found things, found things just as Jesus had told them. And they prepared the Passover. You know? That, that's some crazy stuff. I don't know about you. I don't know what, how you think or how you... That's, that's some crazy stuff, and you know... You know, though it was Jesus, and Jesus is a wild dude, you know, he's a wild, he's, he's a wild guy. But it's, that's just like me saying, oh, go up to uh, 17th and Chestnut. You're going to see a guy carrying, a, you know, uh, uh, some water. He's going to be carrying a case of water. He's going to greet you, and you're going to go follow that guy. Follow him wherever he goes, and go to that person and says, hey, where is the teacher going to have his meal that night? And he's like, and 
That's, that's crazy. You know, just say, oh, just do this. And everything that he said happened, happened. And that's crazy stuff, I think. I don't know. But it's funny how they say, you know, how they ask, where should we make preparations? But God had been making preparations for a long, long time. You know, centuries have passed since the Israelites uh, had been, been slaves in Egypt. But every year, God called them, called every family together to sacrifice a lamb and remember. To remember. Remember how God, call, God caused judgment to uh, fall over, the, over, the, uh, over, over Egypt. And how death came to every door. And how, how by the blood of a lamb, death passed over the houses of Israel. This was the story of Passover, the rescue from slavery and the escape from death. So when they were there reclining at the table, and Dave read this earlier, Jesus says, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. He didn't read this part, but he read the part. But, you know, truly I tell you, you know, one of you will, re- will betray me, one who is eating with me. Betrayal is a, you know, a pretty harsh word, right? Pretty harsh word. Wounds from an enemy we accept, but wounds from a friend, not so much. No. There's no wound deeper than a broken trust. But Jesus allows it to happen, and that's the risk of true love. It's the risk of true love. And it, it amazes me. We were talking about this last night at Kairos, and it amazes me sometimes just how much betrayal God puts up with and still loves. And we're so quick to wash our hands of people. We're so quick to do it. But God puts up with it time and time again. Our betrayal, mine, yours, all the time, and still loves. So then they're sitting there at the table, and the story turns, right? And it says in verse 22, what Dave read earlier. He says, while they were eating, Jesus took the bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it. This is my body. Then he took the cup. And then he, uh, when he gave them, when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Look, we just participated in this, right? Dave just, uh, just spoke on this. And we all know this story. We all know this, right? Some of us have heard it a thousand times because we've taken communion that much. And, but try and look at it from the disciples' point of view. Now, for the disciples, this was Passover, full of tradition and, and memories and things like that. And for those of us who don't know, there are four cups shared in the Passover, right? The first is a, bless, is a cup of blessing or sanctification. You know, since God had set his people apart in Egypt. You know, the second is judgment, right? Memory of the plagues and, thing, and, and, and the things that, that, the, that they went through, in, uh, the Egyptians went through in, in Egypt. The third is salvation or redemption. You know, remembering the blood of the, of the lamb that saved them from death. And the fourth is praise. You know, it's most likely that the third cup, the cup of redemption, uh, is the one that Jesus shared with them when he said, this is my blood. This is my blood. Now, I don't know about you, right? But if someone came up to me and gave me a cup of wine or juice, because I don't drink, you know, and said, or something, whatever it might be, and said, hey, this is my blood. 
I would think they were crazy. I don't know about you guys. I would think they were crazy if they said that, you know, or, or that person wants to grab my attention because he has something pretty intense to say, pretty important to say. And so the disciples knew Jesus. He wasn't crazy, right? They knew he wasn't crazy. He had, he had the words of truth and life in him. And sometimes, but, but sometimes Jesus said things that shocked you so that you would notice. He said things that would shock you that, would, that you would notice. You know, but what did it mean? What did he mean by, this is my blood? Well, in John 6, you know, after he fed the 5,000, people ran after Jesus asking for more bread. And he said to them, I am the bread of life. Now, this didn't go so well, right? Didn't go so well with the Jews. And so Jesus said, very truly, I, I tell you, right, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Say, what? What does that mean, right? Like, what's he talking about? But what we need to understand, though, is that the Bible, in the Bible, blood is a very, very important symbol. It's a very important symbol. From Passover to, to the cross, you know, the blood is a common thread in the Bible. You know, blood always pictures life and death. And there's, there was a law given to Noah, you know, and then in the, in, in the, uh, in the law, then it, re- it was repeated in the law, and then it was passed on to Christians as well. It said, God gave us food to sustain life, but do not eat meat with the lifeblood still in it. In other words, don't drink blood. This is what they've been told all their lives. Don't drink blood. But then Jesus says, drink my blood. And they're like, wait, what? You know, what's going on here? Now, why is this rule so important, though? God explains it in Leviticus. He says, because the life, the life is in the blood. Life is in the blood. Cultures throughout history, you know, have tried taking more, taking more life by drinking blood. But God told his people don't drink blood. Don't find your life there. So imagine their shock when Jesus says, tells them, you know, you can't have life unless you eat, you know, the, the, the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood. You don't have any life in you. Even his disciples said that this was a hard teaching. And a lot of, a lot of his followers left him after that. But Jesus said, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. The key word is eternal. And every other place where we try to find life doesn't last. Nowhere else, life doesn't last. Anywhere else we try to find it. Don't drink blood, it means don't find your life there. It's empty. For us, there's only one way to eternal life, and that's the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, the question is, does Jesus mean his real blood, right? There's nowhere in the Bible where it says, you know, Jesus, that, that Jesus gave them literal blood, right, to drink, you know. So it's symbolic, right? It's not real, but it depends on what your definition of real is. No, Jesus said, my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Here, Jesus is saying that there's a greater reality than, than what we call real. Just like the river of, of living water is real, but it's not physical, right? It's real. Finding eternal life in Jesus 
Jesus' blood is very real. The blood I drink is not physical, but the life I live because of it is very real. Amen? In the Passover, at the Passover meal, you know, uh, look at what Jesus calls the wine. He says, you know, this is my, this is my blood of the covenant. A covenant is, a, you know, uh, uh, a relationship bowed by promise, right? You make a covenant. Like here, years ago, we used to have, like, covenant fellowship, right? It was like a, we, yeah, we used to have covenant dinners, and we used to do, like, you used to have this book that you had to, like, study you had to do and redemptive study, and you had to sign up, whatever, you know. That was years ago. We don't do that anymore, you know. But it's a promise, right? The covenant is, is, is not a physical thing necessarily, but it is real. It is real. You know, it's a very real relationship that God desires with us. You know, that's that, that we abide or remain in, or live in him and he in us. This is why we share communion. That's why we do the, that's why we share communion. We have communion today. That's why we share communion. It becomes a part of us, you know, and it unites us together. What Jesus gave to his disciples is a covenant binding, you know, binding us together uh, in the bread of life shared within, with each of us. That's what he gave us. A covenant that, that binds us. So we are a covenant fellowship. We make a promise to each other, a promise to the Lord and a promise to each other. And that's not even what I want to talk about. So moving on, sorry about that, you know. After that, right, it goes on. After that, they're in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? And the disciples fall asleep on Jesus. He says, you know, stay with me an hour and pray with me, please. You know, and they can't even do that. And they fall asleep and, uh, while Jesus was praying. And they do it a couple times. <laughs> and who's ever done that, though? Falling asleep while doing a prayer? I mean... I have. I, I mean, some of you guys are better than I am, but, um, <laughs> but I've done that myself. But, you know, but then we've all done that, right? But then Jesus was arrested and betrayed by a kiss, right? How fitting. He's betrayed by a kiss. But then Jesus is taken in front of the high priest and is put on trial. And this is what I want to, dry, want to talk about today, all right? I want to dive into this today. So, have you ever been driving, right? And you, you, you see a sign in huge bright red or, or, you know, probably caution yellow and right in front of you saying, stay back or stay back 200 feet or, you know, stay, stay back. This, this, this uh, vehicle makes frequent stops, right? Have you seen that? Anyone? Anyone? Yes, okay, all right, a couple of you, right? But, you know, teaching Micah to drive, Micah's learning how to drive, and, uh, and uh, one of the biggest things that I try to drive home is not following too close to the car in front of him. I try to, I try to do that, you know, just make sure, you, you, you know, don't follow too close to the car in front of you. You don't know when that car is going to stop or whatever might happen. Something might happen. You never know. And... Um, and, and there's one uh, on the big semi-trucks that I really like, a sign that's on there, and it says, you know, if, it, it goes like, uh, if, if you can't see me, I can't see you, right? 
Have you ever seen that sign before? I love that sign. That's great. So, you know, you know, like, if they can't, you can't see the, them in the side view mirror or whatever, then they can't see you either. So you got to make, make sure you get back, you, you, you know, you know, you back up. You know, implication, you know, you know, if you tailgate or follow too close, then you're putting yourself in a dangerous position. Putting yourself in a dangerous position. For the safety of your car and your physical body, you know, it's, it's best to hang back. It's best to, to, to hang back from them, to, to follow at a safe distance. You know, we've all seen them. We've all ignored them, right? Or is it just me? I don't know. <laughs> it's just me. Okay. All right. It's just me. All right. That's okay. But ironically, you know, when, we, when we're dealing with the Lord, we're told there's a danger in staying too far away. And we, but we refuse to get any closer. We refuse to get any closer. We fail to recognize the danger of distance. Today, I want to challenge you to do some distance reflection, right? Some distance reflection. You know, in the three years of Jesus' high-profile, publicized, miraculous ministry, there was a constant. There was a constant. Always there right in the middle of it, on the scene, in the mix, you know, often called the chief disciple, right? Always mentioned first when disciples are listed. You know, the rock, you know, he's smelling something, right? The water walker, you know, the one who recognizes Christ as the son of the living God. He seems to be under Jesus' feet at every single turn. You know, quick to debate, quick to defend, quick to deny. That last statement, right, doesn't seem to fit. It seems out of place. How can someone so committed, sold, so sold out, so loyal, end up denying Christ? Today we're going to talk about how Peter's experiences teaches us about the dangers of distance. The dangers of distance. So let's turn with me to Mark 14, verse 53. We're breaking it, going all the way down near the bottom. So... I'm going to read chapters, verse 53 and 54. It says, And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter would have followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Peter, Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with his guards, with the guards, and warned himself at the fire. Followed him at a distance. If we jump down to, to verse 66, it says, And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also was, were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know or understand what you mean. Wow. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say by the, to, to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. 
But he began to invoke a curse on himself and, and to swear, I do not know this man whom you speak, of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. So there are four dangers or warnings that I want to talk about today. So number one is if we're not careful, we will allow lack of miracles to distance us. If we're not careful, we'll allow the lack of miracles to distance us. You know, Peter distanced himself when the miracle stopped. No, I can almost guarantee you that if Jesus had flexed, right, his miracle muscles, you know, to the chief priest or, or, or on Pilate's steps or while, while hanging on the cross, then, then Peter would have been run, been run right down to the front of the crowd and said, I told you so. That's my guy. That's my man right there. Know why I can say this? Go look at how, how, close, Jesus, how, how close Peter is to Jesus when, when Jesus is displaying power prior to this day. He's stuck like glue. He's stuck to him like glue. There's no power, there's no flex at this, uh, at this time. There's no power display. There's no otherworldly display in front of the, uh, the high priest. No rush of angels and no God show. And since there's no miracles, Distance. There's distance. But what about you? What if the miracle you so desperately believe and long for is so coming, or there's no indication that, there's, that it's coming at all? When Jesus didn't take the desired action to follow or follow Peter's plan, Peter stayed at a safe distance. Who's at a safe distance? Some of us base our loyalty on his action that's following at a safe distance. Number two, if we're not careful, we'll distance ourselves in pursuit of comfort. We'll distance ourselves in the pursuit of comfort. You know, Peter distanced himself to comfort. You know, I may have to remind you that, that Jesus isn't really interest, interested in making you comfortable. He's not. He's committed to your character. Jesus was constantly making people uncomfortable. You know, he rattled their cage, jerked their chains, you know, and all those little sayings, you know, challenged them to change. However, what Peter did and what we continue to do is distance ourselves to a level of comfort. Peter distanced himself to fit in. It's amazing how much we look like Jesus in church. But when the crowd changes, we change. You know, for some of it, you know, so for some of us, it's a subtle change. Uh, you know, what you, what you wouldn't laugh at and hear, or what you would, you know, shake your, your head at, or, or, you know, shake your finger at. That's what Dan does a lot. You know, shakes his finger. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, you know, you know, in here, suddenly becomes you know, acceptable or even funny out there. For some, it's not subtle at all. You know, the change is complete. 
The conversation is altered completely. Fan in here, it's distant out there. Like you're on fire, you're, you're on fire in here, but out by the fire out there. You know, safe distance is what you are looking for, you know, or trying to find. <coughs> Excuse me. You know, fitting in is comfortable, right? It's comfortable to fit in. Peter desired to be comfortable, to warm himself by the fire. You know, too many of us fit in. We're more committed to, to comfort than we are to Christ. You know, if you're comfortable, you need to be very careful. You need to be very careful. You know, that, that, that is it's a danger sign. You know, we choose churches based on comfort. Does it make me feel good? You know, do I fit in? You know, do I like the people I'm around? Whatever it might be. But man, if, you know, if you don't leave here bleeding occasionally, bleeding sometimes, you know, you need to be on guard. You need to be on guard. If you get along with everyone and no one challenges you, you know, then you need to check your Christ-likeness, I guess. And you need to be on guard. We want to distance ourselves to be comfortable. We, we refuse to get close to anyone because it isn't comfortable. It's not comfortable. We did this little experiment last night at a Kairos, and we had to sit in front of someone else. I got lucky, you know, but uh, we had to sit in front of, the, of someone else and just stare into their eyes for four minutes, right? I got my wife. It was just like a random, just a random pick of the number, and I got my wife. So I got to, I got to stare into my wife's eyes for four minutes. You know, that was like super easy for me. But for a lot of people, it was uncomfortable. It was uncomfortable to do that. We don't like to be uncomfortable. You know, we show up late, you know, and leave early to be comfortable. We, we com comfort is overrated, guys. It's overrated. Comfort is, is not the recipe for growth. It's not the recipe for growth. Comfort is not a desired characteristic for a, for a disciple of Christ, a follower of Christ. Comfort may keep you warm, but it, but it won't keep you close. It won't keep you close. Here's a fact, right? Any relationship that we allow to get close, you know, we allow to get close to us, but at some point, hurt and disappoint us. It will. They'll be hurt and disappointed. The Bible teaches, that we, teaches us that we are all sinful, and that sin is relationally destructive. God alone is good and without sin. He's the only one that's without sin. You know, all of us have experienced hurt or disappointment in relationships. And if you're, if you're like many... You associate hurt, you associate hurt and disappointment with that closeness, and often don't believe, and and, and often believe distance from them will will protect us from the hurt and disappointment. That's what we do. Actually, hurt and disappointment come from sin, not the and not the intimacy, not the closeness. This is why we cannot compare God to people. A lot of times we want, don't want to get close to God because we think he's going to hurt us. But we can't compare God to people. God is our father, and he wants us to experience true joy and full life. So when we distance ourselves 
from the Lord to avoid hurt and disappointment, we actually, we're actually hurting ourselves. We need to remind ourselves that God is not like people. You know, I shared um, last night in, in Numbers 23, 19, you know, and this is, the, this is the, the easy to read version, right? I don't think I have it on there, but um, it says, God is not a man. He will not lie. God is not a human being. His decisions will not change. If he says he will do something, then he will do it. If he makes a promise, then he will do, that. He will do what he promised. That's who God is. That's who God is, right? God's desire to be close to us makes, us, makes it so... God's desire to be close to us is so strong that, he, that he's taken away every barrier that keeps us distant from him. He's took away every, taken away every barrier that can keep us distant from him. So Wednesday, you know, um, people came over to our house for after the funeral. Thank you, everyone who's, uh, who supported us, prayed for us, um, uh, sent cards, sent food. Uh, thank you so much. Um, I'm sure you'll get a uh, proper thank you in the mail <laughs> or something like that. But, uh, but I just want to thank you. It was, uh, it was such a blessing. And those who came to the funeral, thank you so much. It's such a blessing. For those of you who don't know, Maria's grandmother passed away. Uh, I mean, the funeral was on Wednesday. But, um, but yeah, so Wednesday after the funeral, people came to our house, came over our house. And um, at one point, we were talking about the problems with social media, right? <laughs> you know how adults talk, right? Uh, <laughs> and how it's really antisocial because it actually creates distance in relationships and creates barriers because you can, you know, put up a barrier. You, you don't have to really show someone who you really are. And it perpetuates societal issues because, you know, when you use social media, you don't learn how to actually interact with someone. You really don't. Or you don't learn how to work out problems with other people if you're just rea uh, interacting on social media. And so I was on Instagram that night, right? Just saying, you know. Uh, but a friend you know, of mine posted something that he, that he read in his devotions that day, that morning, that really struck me. And it read like, um, it said, people today tend to examine the Bible looking for things they can't accept. But Christians should reverse that allowing the Bible to examine us looking for things God can't accept. I was like, wow, that's pretty, pretty profound. I, you know, I'm like thinking, how do I look, look through the Bible, read the Bible, looking for things that, you know, let the Bible examine me to see what God can't accept that's in me. That was so, such good stuff. And if we do that, it takes us out of our comfort zone. It takes us out of our comfort zone. So, number three, sorry, I'm like running late, this late. But, um, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It says, no problem, it says people, so Andrew asked if I could repeat that, so I'll repeat that, so people on Zoom that couldn't hear. Uh, it says, people today tend to examine the Bible looking for things they can't accept, but Christians should reverse that, allowing the Bible to examine us looking, uh, look, uh, examine us, looking for things God can't accept. Amen? Amen. So number three, no, if we're not careful, we will distance ourselves with conversation and with our companions, the people we hang out with. 
you know. Peter distanced himself with conversation and with his companions. Distance impacted his mouth. Out of the abundance of the, of the heart, right? Everyone knows that verse. Your mouth will betray you long before your, you betray, you know, betray you before you betray the Lord. Your mouth will betray you long before. Distance will surface on your lips before it shows up in your feet, right? So, so how do you talk to him? How do you talk about him? Do you talk about him? Do you talk about the Lord? You know, distance made him comfortable, you know, with different companions. People who, uh, who would have been enemies, right, suddenly became his entourage. So for Peter, the people who were his enemies, like the people that were hanging around the fire, the guards, the people that were, you know, against Jesus, you know, became his entourage because he was hanging out with them at the fire, right? So what Jesus thought used to be important, but now Peter's more concerned about what the people around him think. We will quickly choose people over God. We'll quickly do that. Too many of us substitute human companionship for holy company. You know, fear of being alone, you know, warmth of a, of a man or a woman rather than a relationship with the son of man is most important. People can get, you know, people can get you to distance yourselves from God. So here's a question. Why don't you want to hang out with people that cause you to get closer to God? Why don't we want to hang out with people closer that gets, makes us closer to Jesus? You know? You used to, but now you hang out with a new, a different crowd. Why? Why are you no longer comfortable with the ones who held you accountable? Why are you running from relationships that, you know, have been established for your good? These relationships have been established for your good. If you distance yourself, why are you doing that? You know? Is that a distance that we become comfortable with our actions, our attitudes, our habits, and our behavior, you know, and our behavior starts to re re resembling, you know, those that are far from Christ? When we distance ourselves, our behavior starts to resemble the people that we hang around. Their standards become our measuring stick rather than Christ being our standard. You know, this morning some of us need to, to listen to what we're, we're saying in, in our conversations. You, you know, a lot of times you wouldn't dare to talk that way, you know, two years ago or even two months ago. You know, but now the, your conversations reveal distance. Our conversations reveal distance. You know, some of, some of us, you know, uh, need to examine our companions. Who, are you, who you're with shows who you're not with. So we distance ourselves with comfort, you know, comfort with, with companions in our conversation, right? But number four is... If we're not careful, we will distance ourselves into denial. Peter distanced himself to denial, into denial. The longer you stay at a distance from Jesus, two things will happen, right? You'll, go, you'll grow cold, 
You'll grow cold. Sorry, can't even talk. Right? <laughs> You'll grow cold. You know, Peter, away from Jesus, is cold. Away from Jesus, what used to move you will no longer move you. Apathy will set in. You know, he watched his best friend, his Lord and companion, you know, he watched as, as he was beaten ruthlessly, you know, ridiculed, spit on, and Peter didn't do a thing. He didn't do anything. You know, your heart will grow cold. Your worship will decrease. You know, your fire will go out. Your passion will die. You know, that's bad enough, but the second's even worse. You'll deny Christ. You'll deny Christ. Peter swore he wouldn't deny Christ and ends up swearing while denying. He swore he wouldn't do it. No, Lord, not me. Never me. Then he swore while denying. It may not be a vocal denial like Peter was, you know, but the further you stay away from him, it's just a matter of time before you will deny him. This, in, in your attitude, in your conversation, your morals, the use of your money, you know, your choice in entertainment, um, uh, who you hang out with. I can assure you that the, the result of distance that Peter experienced wasn't changed throughout, it hasn't changed throughout history. It hasn't. No, distance leads to denial. Distance, distance leads to disaster. You know, it's, it's inevitable. You know, if you, don't want, if you don't want to not deny Christ, you have to stay close to Christ. You need to stay close to him. You know, the goal is not to see how far away we can stay. That's not the goal. No, we have, to, you have yet to find a church to, that, that will tell you the goal is to stay at a safe distance from Jesus. Yet to find one. If it is one, then they're not really preaching the gospel. Right? Huh? Yeah, 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 keep your distance from them, right? Good, that's good. <laughs> you know, so it's like no, one's ever, no one tells you don't let him get into your school life. Don't let him get into your work life. Don't let him get into your, your friend selection. Don't let him get into your marriage. No, the goal is to get as close to him as possible. That's the goal, to get as close to him as possible. But we continue to follow at a safe distance. But what is a safe distance? Close enough to, you know, to get to heaven, but far enough to, get, to keep heaven from getting into you? You know, Close enough to, to watch him or hear him, but far enough away to be able to live the way you want? How close are you really? How close are we really? I'm here to tell you, don't keep your distance. I want to be close to him. I see too many of us in danger because of distance. Too many of us in danger because of distance. You know, in the, in the movie uh, Hoosiers, it's a great scene. Sorry. Where Coach uh, Norman Dale, I don't know if anyone's, some of you probably have never seen Hoosiers. You know, I understand. It's a sports movie. It's, it's an old movie, but it's a great movie, all right? I, I, I mean, I like it, uh, whatever. But, um, but the, the uh, Coach Norman Dale, you know, he's coached his team, you know, to the, to the regional championships in Indiana, right? 
It's the, they're at the regional basketball, the regional game in the basketball championship. They, you know, in the game they they square, you know, they square off on this other team. They're they're pretty, they're highly, they're heavily favored over them. You know, at one point he calls a timeout. You know, and Coach Dale, Dale he's like talking to his players, and then he looks at the players trying to guard their the other team's best player, and says, he's like, buddy, you know, forty one is killing us. He's just killing us. You know, stick with him. You know, I mean, think of him as chewing gum. By the end of the game, I want to know what flavor he is, right? And so near the end of the game, Buddy fouls out, which is, like, terrible. And they had to, like, put in, like, their worst player, right? <laughs> their worst player goes in the game. And so Buddy comes over. He sits on the bench. He has his head down. And the coach looks at him. He's like, look at him. He's like, okay? He was like, it was dentine. He's like, it was dentine. He knew exactly what flavor of gum the guy was because he was sticking to him that close. He knew what flavor that guy was. Do you know what flavor Jesus is? Do you know what flavor Jesus is? Are you, are you following, you know, but at a safe distance? Is that distance really safe? How close are you, really? Close enough that what happens in here bleeds over into what happens out there. Close enough that it shows up on your lips. Close enough that Christ becomes, you know, before friends. Is there fire left in you? Or are you cold? Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you, Lord, for who you've called us to be. You called us as a covenant fellowship, Lord God. You called us as a community of believers. Lord, but you've also called us to, to, to be close to you. To seek you out, Lord God. To, want, to run towards you. Not standing at a safe distance, Lord God. So Lord, I just come before you tonight, today, Lord God, and just ask, Lord, that you would Lord, set a fire down, deep down inside of us, Lord God, that will burn bright, that will burn hot, Lord God, that will continue to make us on fire for you. And I pray, Lord, that we will not be distant, that we will not be at a safe distance, Lord God, that we won't deny you. Lord, because we need you more than we need the things of this world, more than we need our friends and the, the things that we, you know, do, hang out with, whatever we do, Lord God. Lord, we need you. So, Lord, I just ask, Lord, that everyone here, Lord, would just be close. That they would know what flavor you are, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen.